Hello. Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelics, science, and psychotherapy. On this show, we'll talk about the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of individual mental illness and a psychedelic view of suffering and change, and we'll explore many of the possibilities, opportunities, and pitfalls that emerge from this union. In addition, we'll keep it weird and talk about some of the aspects of psychedelic experiencing that make it so interesting, fun, and transformative. And welcome to the inaugural Altered States of Context podcast. Before we get started, I'd love to beg your indulgence for just a moment while I offer up a few thank yous. I'd like to thank Dr. Dennis Turch, a fantastic psychologist, but also an extremely talented musician who created the music you heard on our intro and music you'll hear throughout the podcast. I'd also like to thank Josh Pickle, who helped us edit and produce some of the material on this podcast. I'd also like to thank the Psychedelic and Non-Ordinary States of Consciousness Special Interest Group, who has been a great forum for bouncing ideas off of and connecting with. Thank you to the members of that group. And finally, I'd like to thank my co-host, Brian Pilecki. He and I have worked together for almost a year now to produce this podcast and are very excited to present it to you. Today, in our first episode, we'll introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about how we came to be on this path and sort of introduce the main topics of our show, specifically the intersection of psychedelics and psychotherapy and the issues and challenges that are created by that mix. Without any further ado, episode one. I am Nathan Gates. I am a psychotherapist at Spoon River Counseling in West Central Illinois, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Pilecki, who is a psychologist and psychotherapist at Portland Psychotherapy in Portland, Oregon. Brian, how are you doing? Good, Nate. Good to be with you today, and thanks for everyone for joining us. For a lot of you probably already know that we're in the middle or the beginning, perhaps, of a psychedelic renaissance, where we are experiencing a real explosion in research, media coverage, and changing legal status in the field or the area of psychedelics, and specifically using psychedelics to treat mental health issues or as tools of personal growth and healing. And so thinking about our podcast, Nate and I, as both therapists, were thinking about putting together a show that would be devoted towards therapists, mental health care professionals, or really any professionals, or really anyone interested in psychedelics to further explore uh, these uh, changing developments. There's a lot of information that comes out these days if you pay attention to these sorts of things. So we are hoping that this can be a place to get information and to explore some of these ideas that are very relevant to the treatment of a variety of mental health issues and really as tools for personal growth. Yeah. And I think we're in a a point here in which this is enough momentum has, has happened within this psychedelic renaissance that 
it's poised to, I think, really change the field of mental health care completely over the next few years. It's sort of, uh, to use a cliche, I suppose, uh, presents a paradigm shifting way of working with mental illness, way of looking at mental illness. I think that it's important for people who may or may not even have an interest in psychedelic therapy to begin to understand what it is, how it works, and how it's poised to change our field. And so uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there about psychedelics. And when we thought about putting together this podcast, we really thought about our mutually shared interest in something that's called contextual behavioral science or CBS and what is more commonly known as acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, which is a type of therapy approach that is rooted in contextual behavioral science. And so this podcast uh, will make room for a variety of perspectives, uh, including you know, indigenous perspectives, religious spiritual, multicultural, uh, but we will be more firmly rooted in science and more specifically contextual behavioral science, which is something that we'll explain and describe as it, we believe it is, makes a really great fit for understanding psychedelics and using psychedelics as treatment. Yes. And I think further what it does is really allows us to talk about psychedelic experiencing and the therapeutic action of psychedelic experiencing in a way that translates well to current psychological understandings. Because there's almost like a translation issue because it's such a, a radically different paradigm in treating mental illness. You know, it's, it's a few really large experiences. At least that's the dominant model of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. We'll probably talk of other ways in which it's also used, but the dominant way is, you know, a few really large experiences that people are able to have and learn from. And, you know, certainly it's very different pharmacologically than a lot of standard treatments. Um, and it certainly isn't your typical one hour psychotherapy session. So it really forces us to get outside of our boxes and look at treatment from a completely different perspective. And I think that contextual behavioral science talks about the processes of change and kind of allows us to usefully talk about some of the stuff that may be happening during the psychedelic experience and, and tying it in to help people integrate those experiences. Yeah, I to totally agree with that. And I think part of what we hope to do uh, with our podcast is to help provide information. So we hope that this will be interesting to people who are brand new to psychedelics, as well as people who have experience. And part of the what's important to me about talking openly about psychedelics and helping spread information, share ideas, is to reduce the stigma that's associated with them because there still is significant stigma around the use of psychedelics just as there is still significant stigma around the use of drugs altogether. So we hope that throughout our episodes we will address various issues that pertain to the uh, treatment usage of psychedelics in mental health settings, but also other topics that are related to psychedelics, such as recreational usage, talking about specific medicines, talking about the neuroscience. Uh, so again, uh, we hope that this will appeal to uh, 
anyone who's interested in psychedelics, regardless of your experience level coming into it. You know, and to say a bit more about that stigma uh, issue, because that is tremendously important. You know, psychedelics are deeply stigmatized and have have been for years and, you know, fit more broadly in the category of illegal drugs generally. And not only are they stigmatized socially, they are still almost everywhere completely against the law. When we're talking about this, I think it's really important to recognize that there's people at the moment in jail for uh, having contact and using and being a part of the culture of psychedelics and, and using psychedelics, you know, as well as other illegal drugs. And I think that, you know, you and I being able to sit and have this conversation and have a real interest professionally in this, you know, rests on this sort of privilege that we hold. And not everyone shares that, you know, as we talk about this, we need to, and I I think we'll bring up over time uh, repeatedly because it's so important to understand the repressive nature of our current drug laws. And that, you know, as we're talking about how we mainstream psychedelics and as we talk about how we try to help understand what uh, helps, what makes them work, and how they can be of benefit to society, we also have to really focus on how we can stop harming people with repressive and oppressive drug laws. So that's extremely important part of this conversation that I don't want to gloss over, you know, by just focusing on their, their therapeutic potential. It's also, there's a real dark side in how we have been relating to them as a society. Yes, thank you for saying that, Nate. Uh, I, I totally agree and want to acknowledge that as two white men of privilege, that it is much safer for us to talk openly about these topics than it is for a lot of other individuals. So we hope to infuse yeah. our podcast throughout with perspective that really honors diversity, promotes equity and inclusivity. We really hope to be agents of anti-racism and give voice to people who don't have as much of a voice or don't feel safe speaking out. Absolutely. On that note, let's transition into maybe giving a little background about your hosts. And to begin, Brian, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about why you're sitting here today, how you got to this point, and what are the, the, the key sort of experiences in your life that have led you to become interested enough in psychedelics to have to pursue it in a professional way sure so like a lot of folks who are interested in psychedelics i was really touched personally by them and i thought i'd share with uh, you the one of the earliest experiences i had with psychedelics where i really came out to myself i remember the three sentences that passed through my mind Uh, i was in college i was a senior in college and I was still pretty closeted at the time. My strategy was to just hide my sexuality, uh, pretend to be straight. I had plans to get married and have kids, have a family, and just never address this, never be with a man, never uh, tell anybody, just hold this inside. And that's really what I did uh, throughout you know, most of my uh, college years. And So I was walking back from like a dance party or something, and I had remembered I had borrowed one of my friend's black shoes uh, to go dancing, and uh, this was um, with MDMA. 
and was walking back up the stairs to my dorm. And I looked down at my black shoes and I had the thought, man, those shoes make you look gay. And then this next thought was, but you are gay. And then the third thought was, what are you doing? And, you know, the the thoughts, they didn't, they weren't um, harsh. They weren't compassionate. It was just this total clarity of, it it was crystal clear to me in that moment what I was doing to myself by hiding this part of me, by pretending to be something I wasn't. And it just totally didn't make sense in that moment. And so that was the beginning for me of what was a longer process, of course, of coming out to my family and friends. And psychedelics really, like like a lot of folks can relate, I'm sure, opened me up to a sense of spirituality that I wasn't as open to beforehand. Wow. So this really caused you to really look at yourself with a lot of honesty. Yeah, that's a great word. Honest, like like really being honest with myself. And it kind of got me really interested in psychedelics, in uh, meditation, uh, basically in like non-Western ways of knowing. I was super passionate about this stuff. If you knew me back then, it was like all I talked about. And I was lucky enough to be able to go to the California Institute of Integral Studies uh, for a master's degree in East-West Psychology where I was able to study uh, non-Western perspectives and psychedelics. I, I was lucky enough to have um, some classes with Ralph Metzner and Stan Grav um, and really, uh, you know, seriously investigated uh, these, the potential of psychedelics kind of in line for me, it was always in tandem with contemplative practices and meditation for purposes of, of growth and, and healing. And I can remember when I decided to go out there, I was on an internship and I had, you know, a couple of mentors there and I received professional advice that this would, this would, this would not be good for me, that this would be professional suicide to, to do this. Um, And uh, thankfully, I also had another mentor who, who encouraged me to go. And so I did eventually re-enter kind of a more mainstream environment uh, when I went to Fordham University for my PhD. But all along the way, I was pretty open. I mean, it was on my CV that I went to CIS. I talked about psychedelics in my, in my classes and to my professors. And, you know, this probably has a lot to do with my privilege that I, I didn't have any negative experiences. But I guess, you know, in line with what we've talked about in terms of stigma, I I really felt, and I, I feel now more strongly than ever that it's important to talk about it. And, you know, when I thought about what I would share with you today, Nate, I, I really wrestled with how much to disclose um, because there are some downsides to, to being open about this. But again, I feel really strongly that we need to normalize this. And if my sharing or if your sharing makes it, others feel like it's more okay to talk openly and acknowledge uh, psychedelic work, then I'm all for that. Great. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, and I think, um, I, you know, I relate a great deal to a lot of the early uh, decision-making around career. And, you know, it's interesting the context we're talking uh, with each other today, because that's really different. You know, young people uh, who would be considering, you know, wanting to have a career in, in this now, 
certainly have different options than you and I did because we, you know, we're about the same age. So we, we were making these decisions at the same time. And at the time, there really didn't seem like too much of a path, you know, and today that, that, that seems like a real different thing. And so when, and I think that's part of what we'll dig more into in this podcast is, is how to pursue that path. Of course, paths, I should say, because there's certainly many different routes to become involved. Yeah, that's a great point. And the reason why I found my way back to psychedelics is kind of random. Um, it was more like psychedelics found me again. Of course, Nate, you had a lot to do with that personally uh, in kind of reinvigorating me in this area and helping me make some connections that led to a job, which is what I'm doing now in Portland, uh, doing some clinical work in the area of psychedelics as well as some research. And it is a question I get asked a lot. How do I get involved? What is the path? And I think that will unfold as these treatments become more mainstream, uh, become more legalized. So for now, it's still a bit of a wild west out there. Although there is more and more every day I'm seeing in my inbox, you know, a new training program on psychedelic integration or a new, you know, webinar on mushrooms. So uh, there's more and more of it happening today. Yeah, it's it's exciting. (laughs) It's very exciting. So what about you, Nate? How did you get into psychedelics? What, what would you like to share from your story? Um, you know, listening to you talk, I really felt a lot of, I felt a lot in common. Um, I, you know, it's like, the, you know, college experience, you know, just basically messing around, you know, in, in college, I, well, I drank too much far too much. You know, I, I went and did the stereotypical college frat boy thing, which I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit, but you know, you learn and you grow. <laughs> so for the first couple of years of college, you know, really overindulged and just sort of in that mindset, you know, from that sort of frame in mind, frame of mind, you know, I think I first tried psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms. And I remember it, to this day really clearly because I had this experience of like, well, this isn't getting fucked up, which was, you know, the common phrase for, you know, getting drunk. I'm like, that's not what this is. I I don't feel that way at all. And, you know, it's sort of like, this is really different and kind of interesting. And so over the course of the next six months, I had a number of experiences because that experience was interesting enough. You know, it wasn't just like this really feel good, pleasurable experience. It was deeply interesting to me. And so I followed up with it with that and with LSD and, you know, within, I'd say six to nine months, I'd gone from drinking way too much five days a week to uh, basically I didn't drink alcohol for 10 years following that. And, you know, the shift was, you know, that's sort of what I drew out of you talking um, was honesty was me really seeing like, you know, that's not the path I want my life to go on. And just kind of seeing into my future of like, I don't want to be drunk all the time. I don't want to be fucked up all the time. You know, that that's not what I want my life to be about. And not only that, but also seeing what I did want my life to be about. There's so much, um, uh, so many things to learn and be curious about and to wonder at and to appreciate in the world that, I didn't want to waste that. And so it was a really awakening experience to be honest with, with myself, my path, what I wanted in life, what I didn't want in life. And it was such a, 
it was such a, a profound experience for me that I felt really obligated to understand it. Um, I felt really um, indebted to that experience. And, and then to, to a very real degree, I felt like I needed to be of service to that experience because I felt like I owed it something. You know, I, I had this, uh, it was not just one, it was a series of experiences that, that changed the course of my life for the better. And I, if, I'm, if I was being honest with myself, could not deny and so because of that, you know, I just, my entire adult life, I have been very keenly interested and have, you know, like we talked about before, there, there aren't any professional avenues open to, you know, becoming a psychedelic researcher at the time, or at least I didn't see them from where I was looking. Um, and so I went to Naropa University, kind of a, a Colorado similar cousin of uh, CIIS, not affiliated in any way, but like a real kind of similar vibe, I think. Yeah. And that's where I got my master's degree uh, in psychotherapy. And there's a real, you know, East-West link there as well. And of course, you know, I think we sound like stereotypes in, in some, <laughs> to some extent, like, yeah, I got into Buddhism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's I didn't a real, get the tattoo, there's a, though. There's a, I, I, I was at least good at, about that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, is a, there is kind of a slippery slope there. Um, yeah. But I think it's because it makes space for this sort of non-dual experiencing that, that, that is a hallmark of, uh, of, of psychedelic medicine. And it was uh, after I, uh, and this is where our paths begin to converge, is after I graduated and began work. I had a, a early um, internship supervisor, actually, right before I graduated, who was an ACT therapist, acceptance commitment therapy. And I started to learn about that and thought, wow, this seems really, really useful in describing, you know, especially like uh, self as context, for instance, really useful way of describing my psychedelic experiences. And here is a really rigorously scientifically constructed theory and practice that seemed super consistent with, you know, my experiences with psychedelics. So it made me super curious. And I became involved in the ACBS community and learning as much as I could. And then, you know, we started the the special interest group within ACBS on psychedelics in psychotherapy, which is how you and I met. And, you know, that has really unfolded in a wonderful way, beginning to sort of construct a sort of a, you know, a, a theoretical bridge between psychotherapy and scientific, scientifically validated process oriented approaches to psychotherapy and, you know, this psychedelic experience. So, you know, that, that's sort of how, you know, how we've connected, uh, why we're sitting here talking today and kind of how, you know, I've sort of tried to pursue, you know, my interest and loyalty to this experience in my professional life. Yeah, I resonate with that, Nate. And if, if, if you know Nate, you, 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 you will feel this in his presence, his, his solid commitment and passion for psychedelics. And I think probably you would agree, Nate, that you know, with me when I say that I don't think there's anything special about my story in terms of psychedelics, the way it's it's touched me. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm hoping that by sharing this again, it, it opens doors and, and normalizes that this this is possible for everyone. Maybe not everyone, 
I think there are, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to take a critical approach to this as well. We're not here to say everyone should do, you know, should do acid all the time. Um, we, you know, we're not, we're not idealistic in that sense. I think we're, we're approaching this with a sense of caution and respect and humility, but I think similar to you, Nate, when I was touched and, and helped so greatly during my experiences, I had a natural inclination to want to share with others. And I still do. I still want, I still work with clients um, all the time where, you know, we're butting up against the limits of the therapy model. And I just, I think uh, if they could have a mystical experience or a sense of transcendence, that would, that would do so much for them. And so I'm so excited to see that more people are potentially uh, going to be able to have these experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I love what you said. And I I fully uh, agree, you know, about like our stories in some ways, you know, in some ways they're, they're totally remarkable. Like, wow, you had this total life's changing experience from a drug. That's kind of crazy and weird, but what's unremarkable about it is, you know, I think because I've been pretty open in my life about those sorts of experiences, I've met a lot of people who share them. And there are a lot of people with stories like that. This is not like a, uh, yeah, like it's not a remarkable, it is a remarkable thing, but it's not a it's not, um, rare. Uh, I've met so many people who have had profoundly life-changing experiences, uh, through the use of psychedelics and who tell stories or have some version of, of that same story of seeing their life from a different angle of re readjusting their priorities to more reflect who they want to be in the world, you know, stopping behaviors that aren't serving them anymore, um, becoming more compassionate, just on and on. So many people have had experiences like that. And it's just wonderful that we're beginning to uh, let those stories be destigmatized a bit and seeing what we can learn from them because, you know, and I think this ties that this leads to, I think for me, you know, an even broader point, which is that I think that these sort of positive changes and openness to aligning better with who we want to be as people, uh, it has a chance to help us as, as a, as a social community in, in the world right now being in a very, very difficult place uh, and needing help navigating the changes that are in front of us. You know, um, we can even, you know, look at the challenges that we've been facing uh, with uh, with coronavirus and social unrest um, and the challenges in front of us, such as climate change, we're going to have to learn as people to adjust and adapt. Um, and any tools that can help us become more adaptable, I think, uh, are things that we really need to embrace and learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And what's what's really exciting too is that as you know, we 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 share our stories, and and you know, Nate is saying that there's other people that he's met, and I'm in the same. I've met a lot of people. I'm sure our audience has as well. But we're still only just scratching the surface from how could we as a culture potentially integrate the use of psychedelics in a way that is helpful. So many cultures have figured this out already. Um, they tend to be cultures, older cultures, um, not more modern Western cultures. Um, so it's been done before, but it really hasn't been done in a sort of modern uh, Western framework. And so it's really a time where uh, 
you know, as the science starts to unfold and as these treatments start to become legally available, we'll just be scratching the surface about how to make best use of them in a way that, you know, as Nate was saying, not only promotes individual healing, but potentially cultural healing as well. You know, anything that allows us to be, and, 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 the, and the kernel, I think, from both our stories was, you know, of, of honesty, of really being honest with ourselves, you know, and anything that allows us to sort of pull down those illusions and delusions that, that keep us from being able to be really deeply honest. Well, what that does is it makes us more sensitive to what's actually in front of us, you know, instead of operating from our programming, from our, 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 what we've learned over the course of our lives. Um, you know, we, we can be more in touch with and sensitive to our circumstances here and now today, which is, which allows us then to become more able to make decisions based on what's important to us, you know, instead of making those decisions on autopilot or because of what we've learned or because it's what we've always done or because it's how we habitually relate to suffering, it gives us the freedom to step back and, and make a decision based on the circumstances at hand and who we want to be and what, and what we hold as, you know, our, our values or however you'd like to say that. And, and that, that has, applications across all sectors of humanity. What you said, Nate, is so true. And it's so, you know, it's, it's when, when I find myself saying it, I, you know, this idea of, you know, living your values or being the person you want to be, it's so much easier to say in principle that to, to live that out in your, in your moment to moment experience. There's so many obstacles that work against that. And you don't even, one of the things about psychedelics for me is that they show you the obstacles you didn't even know were there. You didn't even know what was holding you back. Uh, you maybe had a sense you were stuck or that there was some barrier. Um, and so uh, psychedelics, or we could even say other experiences that provide a kind of more deeper shift in consciousness such as you know, mm-hmm. meditation or um, dance or prayer. So there's, there's, there's other methods, you know, psychedelics are one tool, but there's many tools that kind of fall in this category of helping us step outside of ourselves so we can more um, skillfully evaluate uh, the, the things that are holding us back from being who we want to be. Yes, absolutely. And um you know, I think that that's a, a a real key in understanding this here is that we're talking about, and I, you know, I think this is a little bit of a hump for a lot of people to get over. It's like, well, yeah, you just took a drug, and so you had this drug experience. But you know, what we're really talking about is just like it is an experience that allows us to form new learning. You know, we can learn something new and different through this experience because it changes uh, our perspective. It changes our viewpoint. And then we can bring away from that new learning. And in some way, I like to call it, because um, I think a lot of like pharmacotherapy that we use these days, it's, it's a, you know, pharmacotherapy as it's been done in, in um, for psychiatry for the last 30 years is really about maintenance doses, you know, and sort of like trying to control symptoms, you know, and this is like a fundamentally different way of using drugs. This is, uh, I, you know, I call it experiential pharmaco, uh, experiential pharmacology because it's a pharmacology that induces an experience that then causes learning. And the 
drug itself is a tool to access this experience. But as you point out, it's not the only tool. Um, there are other ways of accessing this experience. I don't know that there are any that are quite as reliable to give to someone who hasn't done years of practice. I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything that can reliably induce this experience, but I think it is important to know that it's not the only way to, to induce an experience. And, and, and that one of the things that we'll be exploring in our, in our podcast together is this kind of tension between wanting to provide access to as many people as possible versus the need to be careful and safe and cautious. And so I spoke about, you know, prior cultures where psychedelics were very much integrated into their, their, their culture, their religion, their spirituality. And in most of those cultures, there were gatekeepers. There were systems in place for deciding who was ready and how people would take them and how people would be supported and what happened next. And so we have to kind of create all this from scratch. And again, with an eye on the, the, the folks who have been most traditionally disadvantaged or the folks who've traditionally had less access to mental health care treatment, uh, BIPOC individuals, LGBTQ uh, folks, um, are, is the way it stands with the, the current economic model, will probably have the least access because it's going to be expensive initially. It's not going to be covered by insurance. So how do we not re- repeat the dynamics of oppression? How do we do this, get this right, or at least work towards trying to do this in a way that doesn't repeat or make the same mistakes that we've made in our prior um, iterations of uh, what we offer in terms of treatment. Yeah, this, this, this little snippet of the conversation here, I think could be its own, will need to be its own show or two, you know, because this dynamic is so important, you know, having broad access, you know, so that the, the most people who could benefit have access to it, you know, and, and this dynamic has played out already. It's already played out in our culture in many different ways. It played out in the, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties, you know, when uh, the in- initial medical research uh, was happening and it was highly restricted and it was really restricted to, you know, there was research being done. And then it seemed like pretty much like the social and cultural elite were very interested in, and, and experimented with it and learned from it a lot. But then, of course, you know, many of us know the story of Timothy Leary and almost everyone knows what happened in the 60s where it just, uh, you know, and, and the um, Ken Kesey out west and the acid tests and um, it sort of exploded into culture and access also exploded, you know, and so many, many people had it. But, um, you know, it brought with it a great deal of chaos and um, social upheaval and, and created this backlash. Um, and so that sort of happened when, you know, the gatekeepers were removed and it flooded, but then there is a huge discussion of like, well, okay, so we want gatekeepers of some sort, but how do we make sure that those gatekeepers are just, and we want those gatekeepers to be the same gatekeepers who have been, you know, in charge of our, uh, psychological and mental health systems for the last 30 years, because I'm not entirely sure that they have the best track record. So I don't know about that. You know, it's like who, how do we create a just um, system for ensuring access safely? That's a huge question. So I think that 
is a good description for me of what, what we aim to do. Um, Nate, I'm not sure if there's anything else that um, you'd like to add to, to what our vision is for this podcast. Um, no, not without probably just another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you for taking the time to listen and please join us for our next podcast where we hope to go into um, acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT and contextual behavioral science and its relationship to psychedelics um, in more detail. Great. Yeah. Thanks for joining us and we will um, talk to you later. <laughs>